Okay. Uh, good morning. My name is Nick, and I am the college pastor here. And our text this morning is in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 23. We are, like Brian said, coming to a close in uh, one of the, if not the greatest uh, sermon ever given. Um, and that's the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 15 of Matthew 7 says this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray, guys. Jesus, I thank you so much for the privilege of being able to be here to share your word with these people. I pray, Lord, just offer myself up to be used by you and have, God, a, a desire in my heart that you would use these strong, weighty words from the Sermon on the Mount that you gave to awaken your people from slumber, if they have been, to lead us into the repentance that brings forth fruit, to turn our eyes to your return. God, I pray that um, you would be in this place with us and that everyone here would encounter you. And Lord, that it would not be in vain, but that there would be much fruit that would come forth from this place as a result of our gathering here together this morning in your name. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so, in case you missed it as we read through there, Jesus is getting very serious. Um, very serious. In fact, in my opinion, some of the scariest, most serious verses in the Bible found here. I don't know about you, but when Jesus says, people are going to call to me, they're going to call out my name, and I'm going to say, I don't know you. That sounds very serious and very scary. And I want, I just wanted to be able to see you guys. Um, I want for us this morning to open up our hearts, to open up our ears, and hear this, to hear what Jesus has to speak. Because what, what I was realizing as I was preparing this is that there's that verse in Hebrews 4 that talks about 
the word of God being sharper than a two-edged sword. You know this verse? Sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to, you know, cut between marrow and bone and soul and spirit. It's able to basically open up our hearts before the one who sees and to whom we will give an account. And when Jesus speaks words like these, I don't know if you feel it, but I feel it. I feel sharp. It's going through. When he starts talking about Listen, there are people that look good on the outside, but where are they on the inside? Listen, there are people that think they're doing things in my name, but I'm going to say I never knew them. That's sharp. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, as he's drawing these things to a close, is also bringing things to climax. Really, we're getting into what his main uh, message was, or is, in the Sermon on the Mount. So I want you guys to feel that weight this morning as we get into this. Um, what we're going to be looking at today, I, I told first service, and this is, this is the dilemma I had. I spent most of yesterday trying to figure out how in the world I could cover eight or nine verses in 45 minutes. I need to like, usually I'll just take a verse and that's enough for me. So I have to break this down into maybe one main theme. And if there are unanswered questions, I'm sorry. There's a lot of other places I would have loved to go but couldn't. Um, and so what we're going to look at this morning, the, 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 the point that I, I want to bring out that I think is probably Jesus' main point, has to do with fruit. Has to do with fruit. Good fruit, bad fruit, things like that. And so the way we're going to begin before we actually get into looking at this fruit is to, is, to, is that me? Am I doing that? Am I having problems? Well, that might be me. Anybody else hearing that? No, no big deal? Now you're hearing it, right? I don't know what that is, but we'll be okay. All right. Um, so I want to begin by looking at this impending judgment. Okay? Because I think all that Jesus has to say about fruit makes sense and is, is spoken in light of the coming judgment, the final judgment. I'll show you what I mean, but first let me read you something Sometimes it helps me just to read what I've written instead of try to preach it because it'll take me longer and I want to get to the main point. So I'm just going to read this quickly, listen, and, and then we'll move forward. Judgment is coming, and yet not many seem too concerned about it. Not many seem too mindful of it. We have so much going on here that days, weeks, months, even years can go by without a thought about the judgment day. Even preachers these days seem to be a bit reluctant to bring up such a dreadful subject as judgment. We live in an age of tolerance, of grace, of love, where the gospel makes you feel better but doesn't save you from anything because surely there couldn't be such a thing as hell or judgment. Surely heaven is a party of which all humanity shall partake, but it's not. And Jesus makes this very clear. How many of you guys this week are thinking about, oh yeah, I want to make sure my life is right before God. I want to make sure there's fruit coming out because there's a judgment that's coming out. Jesus is returning or whatever it might be. How many of you guys are ordering your life around that? 
We're thinking about all sorts of stuff. We're thinking about school, and we're thinking about our job, and we're thinking about the economy, and we're thinking about all these other things. But is judgment even on your radar? Because Jesus says it's going to come. And contrary to what some people might want to believe, oh, God is love. He is also just, and he is also holy. And Jesus is saying clearly, not everybody's going to fall in favor with God on that day, with me on that day. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus is saying it. How come we don't say it? If you don't bear good fruit, he says, you're going to go to hell. It's as blunt as I can put it. He's saying it almost even more bluntly. Or verses 22 through 23. It gets even scarier. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There is a coming judgment. And Jesus wants us to think about it. He wants us to look at our lives and make sure we're ready for it. Because the reality is, it is coming. Whether we die or he returns, it's coming. There are thousands of people that are going to die this day. And it says in Hebrews 9.27 that it was appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. Whether these thousands of people were ready to meet King Jesus or not, they are in front of him. He doesn't go, hey, you need a couple more years to make sure you get things right. He goes, your time's up. Your time's up. We don't know the end of our day. It could be the end for some of us. Today, driving a car is dangerous. We don't usually think about it. It could be today. Are you ready? Or he could return. He talks about it. He says, I'm coming soon. We don't think about it. At least not as much as we should. When was the last time you guys just found yourself looking up to the clouds, yearning for the return of Jesus? I'm coming back in the clouds. Wait for me. I'll be there. I will come to reward those who are looking and waiting and working for me down here. But those servants that have just gotten all consumed with their earthly things... Make excuses. Don't have time to come to that feast. And they go into the judgment unprepared. Without fruit. Without what they need to get through. For some people, the return of Christ is going to be like a bridegroom for his bride. Or like the bride. I pray we are, we are that bride have washed our garments white in the blood of Christ, and we just can't wait to be with him. But the reality is, there is another set of people that his return, Jesus says, will come for them like a thief in the night. And all that they had invested their time in, and all that they had hoped for, and all that they had dreamed of, will be stolen from them. If I would have known you were coming, I would have locked the door. That's what Jesus said. I would have made some preparations, but I didn't know. I wasn't ready. You came, and it's over. Wow. 
so sad. You guys scared yet? Sorry. We'll get into, into gospel and grace and good stuff. I promise. You've got to begin with realizing how serious this is. The gospel saves us from hell. The gospel is the greatest news ever because it saves us from the worst thing ever for the best thing ever. That's why the gospel is so amazing. That's why we need to be ready. Judgment's coming. It's coming. Whether we die, Christ returns. It's coming. So I don't know what you were thinking about this morning. I hope you're with me now. Maybe there was stuff on your mind. Maybe you're like, oh, school is stressing me out or whatever it might be. You know, I can't believe that guy said this about me or whatever these things are that are so pressing. Maybe they're really important things like cancer or whatever else you got going on in your life. But no matter what that stuff is, this, I hope you see, is more important. It's more important. Let's think about it. Let's think about it. So, what I want to do first is ask the question, if judgment is coming, what is it that we need if we're going to make it through to glory, to paradise, to heaven with Christ? What is it we need to find favor with him on that day? I've been alluding to it. It's clear. Fruit. We need good fruit if we're going to get through. So first little point I want to make here is the essentiality of fruit. Or, in essence, or what I'm trying to say is fruit is essential. Fruit is essential. If we're going to make it through, you've got to have good fruit in your life. Show you where I see that. We've already seen it. So I'm just going to just summarize those verses. In verse 19 where it says, if you don't have good fruit, you're thrown into the fire. Fruit is what he's looking for. Or verse 23 um, where he says, if you don't have good fruit, no matter how hard you cry out to him, no matter how much you're like, wait, didn't I do, didn't I do, didn't I do? If you don't have a real relationship, if you don't have fruit that's coming forth from a real relationship with Christ, from your heart, he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. So we got to have this good fruit in our lives if we're going to make it through the coming judgment. And now I want to broaden this point out for a moment to show you that so much of Scripture is saying this very same thing. I'm not going to spend too much time here, so you can write these verses down if you'd like. Um, I'm going to move pretty quickly through them, but I want to show you that the issue in the coming judgment is fruit all throughout the Scriptures. You see this in Matthew 3, 7 through 10. John the Baptist, you guys know him. He's down there giving, you know, baptizing people with repentance and preparing the way for the coming Messiah. And the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees hear about this guy and they come down to see him. And John says this, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, note this, verse 10, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Same language Jesus uses about four chapters later. It's fruit. God's looking for fruit. The axe is at the root of this tree. And if you're not bearing fruit, Jews, chosen people who have rejected God, I'm going to cut it down. 
They were trusting in, oh, I'm a child of Abraham, right? He's going, there needs to be fruit in your life. That's what God's looking for. Not, are you a son? Are you genetically connected to Abraham? Or, you guys remember the parable of the sower and the seed in Matthew 13. We're going to look at verse 23. But you, you got, the seed was being scattered, the word of God, and there's four soils. Three soils produce no fruit. One is the seed is just stolen. The other, the seed kind of grows up, but then the sun scorches it. The other, the seed grows up, and weeds choke it out. The cares of this world and other things like that choke it out. So three of them don't produce any fruit. And the only one that receives the blessing is the fourth one. Why? Because it produced fruit. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case hundredfold, in another 16, and another 30. But the main point is, I'm looking for fruit. The other soils, they didn't, they didn't bear fruit. Go with me. Well, you don't have to go there, but Luke, in Luke 13, 6 through 9, Jesus gives a parable about a fig tree that's planted in this dude's vineyard. And here's essentially what's going on. The vineyard or the vine dresser comes and says, ah, you know, for three years, this, um, this plant has not produced any fruit. And so the owner of the vineyard goes, well, then let's cut it down. It doesn't produce fruit. Let's cut it down. And the vine dresser says, hold on a minute. Give me one more year with this plant. Let me, let me try to fertilize it and dig around it and try to get something going so it can produce fruit. And if it doesn't produce fruit after this year, cut it down. Again, good fruit is essential. That's where we're going with this. You guys remember John 15, when Jesus talks about, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. Do you remember what he says about those branches that don't produce fruit? Every branch of mine, in verse 2 of John 15, every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And what does he do with it? It says in verse 6, the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. The same language is used. Judgment. They don't make it through to glory, to paradise, to oneness with me. They get, depart from me. Fire. That's what they get. Or Hebrews 6, and this is the last one we'll look at. This one kept me up at night for months I would go to, I don't know if any of you guys have gone to Hebrews 6 and been afraid can I lose my salvation what is going on because it sounds like I can according to this verse when you understand this idea of fruit being essential to our salvation and things it makes a lot of sense let me summarize the first three verses it's Hebrews 6 4 through 8 summarizes I'll summarize verse 4 through 6 and then read to you verses 7 through 8 but what's happening in verses 4 through 6 is this author of Hebrews is talking about these people. And he says, okay, listen, there are people that have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. But then they fall away. They say, forget it. And this author says, for those people, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. And I read that and said, there are people that have tasted the heavenly gift and seen the power of the Spirit and been enlightened and all this stuff, and then they can fall away? And then, and then you can't bring them back? Does that mean that my salvation is in the balance every day of my life? No. No. 
And the key is found in verses 7 through 8. He gives us a picture and he uses fruit to help us understand what those people were like. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be, there's that dreadful word again, burnt. But do you see what he's saying? Rain is coming down. Rain is coming down. And one soil gets that rain, the enlightenment and the word of God and the spirit feels it, comes to church and experiences these things and bears fruit. There's stuff that comes out of their lives as evidence that they are saved. There is real relationship with Christ happening. And then there are those that come to church, go to Bible study, They enjoy feeling good about themselves and oh, God loves me and they enjoy meeting friends here and they enjoy the fact that Christians are kind of nice to one another usually and love each other. And they drink this rain. Oh, they drink this rain. But there is no fruit coming forth from their life. It's just like an endless pit. Just give me more, but don't ask me to serve No, I don't actually love God. This is about me. God, why aren't you serving me? And there's no fruit in their lives. And so that person says, you've fallen away. You've tasted all this, and it never sunk in. Just like that, just like that soil in the parable of the sower and the seed. Here's the word, it's in. Can I receive it for a moment? And it's gone. There's no fruit there's no genuine salvation here and the issue in all of these cases is good fruit are you going to make it through or not is there good fruit in your life now fruit is essential but i fear that i probably have a lot of you scared at this moment like oh my gosh if this is real i I, I thought I was saved by grace. It sounds like he's saying I'm saved by works. I got to get to work here. No, hold on a minute. I want to read for you guys Titus 3, 3 through 8. And my point is this. While fruit is essential, it is not ultimate. It is rather subordinate. It's, 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 it's after, it's lower, it's beneath grace and faith. So the ultimate thing Jesus is looking for in your life is not fruit. Fruit is an evidence. Fruit is after that. He's looking first and foremost for faith. And that's what produces the fruit. I just want to make that clear to you guys. And I don't think it gets any clearer than Titus 3, 3 through 8. Know this, know this scripture. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. He does not hold back. You are not this lovable person that God's just like, oh, I just can't wait to have you near to me. Like, <laughs> you hated everybody. Verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, let's make this clear, underline this, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of 
regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. He's just pouring it out and pouring it out on a people who hate him, who didn't want him and didn't love other people and were not producing any fruit. He looks at that land and he says, let's do this, Jesus. And he pours out grace upon them and says, you are saved not by any works you've done in righteousness because you haven't done any yet. And here I come to renew you by the Holy Spirit, to regenerate you by the Holy Spirit and pour out my grace upon you. Verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He's given us everything and we haven't done anything yet. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. You are now heirs, not because you're so good, but because of Jesus. That's incredible. But here's the link to fruit. Verse 8, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. So insist on the fact that you are saved apart from your works. Insist on the fact that you are justified by grace and not by your works. Insist on the fact that you were just a sinner. You had nothing going for you and God saved you. You needed a savior and he came. Insist on that. Nothing to do with me. Why? So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. See the connection? You see how fruit is essential yet subordinate to grace and faith? See it? Insist on the fact that you are justified by grace so that as you trust in the gospel, as the power of the Spirit moves through you, through the grace that is available to you, through the cross of Jesus Christ, you can produce fruit. You can produce real good fruit. The reality is that the gospel comes in, changes our heart, and helps us to do that. That Jesus is now in us through the gospel, through justification, by faith alone. Jesus enters. And then he begins to work. Sanctification, producing fruit. So the fruit is essential because it is an evidence of our justification in Christ. Because where Christ is, there will be evidence of Christ. This fruit is essential. It's not ultimate. It's rather subordinate to grace and faith. Okay. Now, the definition of fruit is what I want to look at for a moment. It's probably time that we spend a moment looking at, okay, you say I need good fruit. You say that judgment's coming. Fruit is essential. I need to have this in my life. What is this good fruit that Jesus is talking about? What is this fruit that I'm talking about? So in answering that, let's begin to look at the text. And first we'll be, begin with verses 15 through 18, and then we'll drop down to verses 21 through 23. There are two different scenarios that Jesus gives us, and I want to look at this idea of what is fruit. What is this fruit that Jesus is talking about? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, it's a key word, are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. 
And then verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So as we are searching, seeking to define this idea of good fruit, I I want to begin, I think where Jesus kind of does, where he goes, which is what bad fruit looks like. And then we'll understand a little bit more about what this good fruit is that Jesus is after. You see, bad fruit coming from those false prophets in verses 15 through 18. It says that outwardly, they got sheep's clothing on. They look like God's people. They look like they're part of his fold. They look like they're doing good stuff. They look like anyone would look from the outside and say, oh, wow. There's something real happening there. There's some real fruit in this person's life. And Jesus says, but inwardly, they're like wolves. They're ravenous wolves. They're just hungry. They've got an appetite for their own desires, for their own thing that is insatiable. And they will stop at nothing to get it. It's not about God with these people. It's not about loving others with these people. It's about themselves. So you see something about this bad fruit. It can look good on the outside, but if it's not connected to the inside, it's still bad fruit as far as Jesus is concerned. Same thing is said, essentially, in verses 21 through 23 with those false disciples that Jesus is talking about. Where it says that from the outside, it would appear as if they've done a lot of good stuff for Jesus. I mean, they're saying... Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do all these mighty works in your name? Wasn't I casting out demons in the name of Jesus? And Jesus looks at him and says, I don't know you. You weren't doing it as an overflow, as an effect of your relationship, abiding relationship with me. You were doing it because you wanted to praise a man. Or because it just felt good to do good things and you could feel a little bit better about yourself. You weren't doing it in my name. You were doing it in your own name. You weren't a worker for me. You were a worker of lawlessness. The same thing here is going on with this bad fruit that Jesus is discussing. It looks good on the outside. But on the inside, there's nothing there. There's no substance. I don't know you. John says in, in, I think, his first epistle, this is eternal life, that they would know him. Jesus. You want eternal life? It doesn't have nearly so much with cleaning up your act on the outside and going to church and doing a Bible study as much as it has to do with, do you know him? Do you love him? Is there just grace coming through him to you and moving out or from him to you, through you, moving out? Are you just doing this religious stuff because you grew up doing it? You want mom and dad to like you. You want people to like you. You want to like yourself. So it would seem then that as we come into what good fruit is, Jesus has in mind this good fruit that, that, that requires both the external but especially the internal parts of a man. 
He says that it is possible for you to look good on the outside while still being wicked on the inside. And no matter how you look on the outside, if the inside isn't clean, it's bad fruit. It's bad fruit. So good fruit comes forth from the heart and moves outward in the life. If you would make note with me, this is what Jesus has been saying everywhere in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm just going to touch on it very quickly. Some of you guys haven't been here for the summer while we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not going to take you very deep. Hopefully you just know these things. But Jesus, I encourage you, read Matthew 5 and 6 and you'll see it. This point is everywhere in Jesus' sermon. He's trying to say, I need both the inside and the outside. Because you remember in chapter 5 when he's talking about those guys that think they're righteous because they haven't murdered anybody. Because they haven't committed adultery. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not the outside that I care about. If you have been angry with a brother, it's murder in God's eyes. If there's been anger in your heart, you've murdered him. I don't care if you haven't done it with your hands on the outside. I care about the inside. If you have looked upon a woman with lust in your heart, he says, it's adultery in my eyes. In other words, I care about the inside and the outside. Same thing in chapter 6. When he's talking about these religious guys who come into the temple and they love to tithe and they love to fast and they love to pray so that other people will see them and praise them for how good they are. And we are so tempted to do this in the church. We take our flesh and we move it into a religious scene. And here, what it looks like to sin is to do things really good so that other people will praise you. That's just as sinful as that guy out there who's getting drunk on a Sunday morning. I hope nobody's doing that. Just as sinful. Jesus is talking about those guys and he says, listen, if they're doing it in their heart behind their tithing, fasting, and praying is to get praise from men, they will receive no praise from my Father. None. So he's been at this all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. I want your heart. I want your heart. Do you know me? Do you love me? I don't. The outside will take care of itself if there's relationship happening. I don't want to be one of those men that he's talking about. False apostles or false prophets, false disciples. I don't want to be that. I don't want you to be that. The reality is, I was thinking about this, I am tempted as I get up here to be concerned with who? Myself. What do you guys think about me? Am I scaring people? Are they blessed? Are they stoked? Do they like me? Are they going to think I'm holy? Are they going to know that yesterday I was angry with my wife? Maybe I could cover that up and look good. I'm not a sinner. I'm perfect. I want praise. No. The thing that I thought about is Jesus in this moment really is not looking so much about at my words. Oh yeah, he's preaching in my name, but is his heart in it? Does he mean what he's saying? Is, does this have to do with these people that he's looking out at and with me? Love for them and love for me, my glory, their good. Or is it about him and love for himself and his glory? Is that what it's about? Because if that's what it's about, no matter how good I look, it's bad fruit in the eyes of God. And that is scary because... As it says in Galatians, the flesh is waging war on the spirit so that 
I struggle to do what I want. And this man is trying to give glory to God. But there is a war in my heart because people are looking at me. What are they thinking? I want praise. Kill it. Get rid of that. Let's produce good fruit. So I'd ask you guys to search your hearts and the situations in your life. Are you producing good fruit that comes forth from the heart and moves out in your life? Now, we will end by looking at the production of fruit. Because I imagine, as we hear this, we're like, ah, oh, I want to produce fruit. <laughs> I hear the judgment, I hear it's essential, I hear what it is all about, and I want my heart to be in this. I want to produce the real thing. I want to be the real deal. I want to make it through to glory and paradise and union with Christ. I want to be there. Marriage supper of the Lamb. I want to be there. How? How do I produce fruit? Now, this is where it gets very, um, very important because the inclination of our flesh when we look at our lives and go, I want to change, I want to bear fruit, I want, to, I want Jesus to accept me, our inclination is to go first to the law. And I want to begin by answering this question, how do we produce fruit by first saying how we don't? We don't produce this good fruit by going to the law. By looking and saying, okay, God is looking for stuff in my life. How do I get it in my life? Maybe I need to pray harder. Maybe I need to fast, you know, longer. Maybe I need to uh, go to more Bible studies. Maybe I need to give money to more people. I don't know what that is. We don't, we don't get right by going to the law and this whole self-determination thing that says, I'm going to make this happen. Even though we're tempted to do it. Even though we're tempted to do it. The reality is if we go to the law first and try to start climbing and start to dig our heels in and figure out how can I get fruit in my life? <clears throat> I'm going to do this. If we go that route, the reality is we will end up in one of two pits. Either we will end up in self-exaltation where we start to do good things, we start to see stuff happen in our lives and we go... <gasps> I did it. I'm pretty good. Look at what's coming out of my life. Look at what's happening. I'm good. And Paul says in Philippians 3, that kind of righteousness is a dung heap in God's eyes. It's worthless. He said, I had all of that righteousness and I counted it as loss so that I could have Christ and the real thing. So we fall into either self-exaltation or self-condemnation because you try so hard you got this heart. I, I hear what Nick's saying. I want to produce fruit. And you try and you try and you try. And nothing changes the same sin. The same failures. The same thorns and thistles are coming out of your life. And so you, you lose hope. You say, I, I guess I can't do it. And you fall into self-condemnation. The reality is, is you, you, you're right. You can't do it. And that's where we're supposed to begin not end. So, how do we actually produce this good fruit? The first thing I wanted to make mention of is we produce it by God's word. It's produced, first and foremost, through God's word. And what I have in mind, particularly here, there's other things that I could go to, but is the gospel. That's the, that's the remarkable thing about this. If you want to produce fruit, you go back to the gospel. Galatians 3, 1 through 5, changed my walk with Christ. 
I want it to change yours. It changed the way I look at how am I going to get sin out of my life? How am I going to bear fruit for Jesus? Changed everything. Let's read it. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And then, verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul is writing to a people that go, yeah, okay, we know we were saved by the gospel back then, but now I want to see more fruit in my life. I want to be moving towards perfection and looking like Christ. And they're trying to get there by the flesh, by the works of the law. And Paul says, you're foolish. You've got to know that's not what you're supposed to do. That's not how the Spirit is supplied to you. How you began is how you continue. You began with the gospel, hearing and believing, and you continue with the gospel, hearing and believing. Don't start to think it's on your own. You're on your own now. That, oh yeah, the gospel got you off in the beginning, and now it's up to you. And Jesus, Jesus is waiting at the finish line with his arms crossed, waiting. Can you make it? No, 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 no. Jesus, through the gospel, starts it. Jesus, through the gospel, continues to fuel you through all the way to the end. And so you start not with the law, not with how do I get better, but I'm already right with God. We read Titus. Insist on that with your soul. Insist on it. Listen, I know that I am thinking right now that God surely couldn't love me because I'm not bearing fruit. But the only way for me to produce this fruit is to begin to preach the gospel to myself and insist upon the fact that I am saved by grace alone. Christ alone. And I am now right with God even in this moment. And I tell you what, if you let Jesus, open up those doors and let grace come in. It is that that will move you to produce fruit. You'll feel it. It's not condemning yourself. Oh, why? Just flogging yourself. Why don't I produce this? It's, I'm right with God. Through Jesus. And Jesus is going to help me. So we go first to God's word. The second thing that I wanted to make note of is We get fruit through God's discipline. We get fruit through God's discipline. This is a tough one. This is what will really show who are the authentic Christians. Because when those who are just in it for fun and games experience God's discipline, they leave. I I wasn't banking on this. Those who want real fruit realize that one of the ways that God loves to produce fruit in their life is through discipline, through trial. That when we came to Jesus in the gospel and had faith, he, yes, he gave us a new nature. He gives us a new heart and he fuels us with new life. But there is still remaining sin and we still battle with it. And one of God's chief ways of refining that out of us so that we produce good fruit is discipline. Trial. Hebrews twelve ten through 11. He disciplines us for our good. That we may share his holiness. For the moment, all 
Discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Hear what he's saying? God is saying, I'm, I'm after you're good in this. And I know some of you might be feeling it. You might be in it right now. The pruning that he talked about in John 15 hurts is happening right now. This discipline from a father is happening right now. Whatever the situation is in your life, I want you to get up above it for a second and know that God means it for your good. That God is looking down and wants you to bear fruit. And he says, listen, I know it hurts in the moment. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. It hurts. Believe me, I know. I was there on the cross. It hurt. But because I made it through the cross, I took the world with me to glory. I opened up the doors. There is so much God plans to do in your pain. This is how fruit comes out of your life. Have you ever prayed these things? You see sin and you go, it's not leaving God just by knowing the gospel and your word and things. Break me. Do what you got to do. Or I struggle with pride and I'll pray. Humble me. And he does. And it's scary to pray that. But how badly do you want fruit? I'll tell you something. We ought to rejoice when we see the discipline of God in our lives. Because he's trying. He's trying. And he's working. And it's evidence that you are in fact a child. And he wants eternal life to be abundantly supplied to you. He wants there to be a lot of fruit on your life. The third thing. Third way that we produce fruit. Is God's sovereignty. We got God's word. God's discipline, third thing, God's sovereignty. I want you guys to know, I want you guys to know this, that ultimately, we can't do this, period. We cannot bear good fruit, okay? We are wholly reliant upon God to do this, and if he doesn't, nothing good's gonna come from Nick Weber's life or your life. Isaiah 45, 8, is the keynote verse for the rain. It's, it's, the ver- it's the verse we fly over the whole thing and say, yes, this is what we're about. And in it, you see God's sovereignty over the production of your fruit. Verse eight says this, shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. So he's going, yes, let this happen. Let's let the rain come down, my grace, through the gospel. Let's start to work on these people and bring up fruit in their lives. And then he ends it by saying this, not, oh, great, they're good people and they've done it. I, the Lord, have created it. This is me. I've done it. We're wholly reliant on him. And so, if you want to see change in your life, if you want fruit to be there, if you want eternal life to be abundantly supplied to you, if you want to make it through the judgment to glory and paradise and union with Christ, then what you need is to hear and believe God's word, in particular the gospel, and trust yourself to God's discipline and submit yourself to God's sovereignty. He can do it. He will do it, and he loves to do it. And we'll close with this. Jesus brings this up In Matthew 7, because he loves us, because he knows it's coming, because he knows he's holy, because he knows if we don't have Christ in us, if we're not covered, and we have evidence of that 
coming out in, in fruit, the judgment is going to be a terrible day for us. And he wants us to think about it now. He wants us to go, is this happening in my life? He wants us to be the real deal. Believe me, he doesn't get joy out of saying, depart from me. It grieves him. And so today the call is, come to Jesus. Come to his gospel. His arms are open and he loves to bear fruit in those that draw near to him. He will change your heart. He will bear fruit in your life. And he will get you through judgment in the glory. So um, what we're going to do now is respond to the Lord. Worship, singing, but also with our tithes and our offerings. And in light of this message, I would say, if you're going to do either of those things, do it with a happy heart in the Lord. Do it with joy unto him. Let's pray, guys. Father, we recognize right now that if you don't come and, 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 and work in our midst, there's going to be no good fruit in our lives. We're going to be like those people that think we're good, that think we've got it going on just because we're sitting in a chair at church. God, we need you to break open the hardness of our hearts that's there sometimes and to just flood out with your grace and to help us change and to help us bear fruit that pleases you, that comes forth from the inside out. And God, we trust that as you do that in this room, you will be well pleased. And you will look down over us and say, I, the Lord, have created it. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.